was a scary Ohalia. <laughs> up on It's Not Human Sexuality. Ugly stories that you read about immigrants, I kind of experience all of them, like being locked in a house, not allowed to talk, disconnected from the world, uh, locked the computer, no phone, no food. And we are happily married for about a month. <laughs> and then it, everything does, just turns into unfortunate uh, emotional abuse. It's not the teachers and educators' job to raise my child. It's my job as his parents. We are talking Romania. Everybody's white, everybody speaks one language. If we made it so far in life and we go through everything that we went through, there is nothing that we cannot handle. Welcome to It's Not Human Sexuality, the show that goes beyond sexuality to reproductive health. Understanding the foundations of reproductive health allows you and the ones you love to make better decisions about your health, mind, and relationships. Joining us today is Simona Spark. I'm Dr. B. And I'm Mandy Johnson. And this is It's Not Human Sexuality. So today, as we said, we have Simona Spark. She is an immigrant from a communist country. Simona faced gender barriers, discrimination, and even domestic violence. In a commitment to herself and her son for a greater life, she took a chance and came to the United States to pursue the American dream. During her journey from speaking no English to standing on the TEDx stage, she has relied on her commitment to her vision to raise herself above her circumstances to charge forth into her destiny. Born and raised in Romania, Simona's journey has moved her to 16 addresses in six countries and states on three different continents. She now resides in Los Angeles. She is the CEO and founder of Spark Transformation Academy, the host of the Redefined Family in the Modern Age of LGBTQ podcast, and the author of two books. In her latest book, Raising My Voice, The Memoir of an Immigrant, Simona teaches readers how to speak up, speak out, and come out through healing, owning, and sharing their story. Welcome, Simona. Thank you, thank you, thank you for having me. So I I love talking with you. It's always inspiring. I love our times when we have Zoomed, and I was even on your podcast, and that was so much fun and so inspiring as well. But your journey has not been easy, and as I have gotten to know you more, um, I, you know, a lot has tumbled out, and uh, and then I read your book. You know, and I got to tell you that I was stunned. I really was. I mean, yeah, there, all the challenges you were met with, yet you kept moving forward. And here you are now. Can you give our listeners your story up to your current current date where you are now? Yes. So uh, as you said, born and raised in Romania, and I think the, the biggest turning point as, as an adult was, uh, you know, having my first husband saying that he doesn't want to be married anymore and was like literally easily safe over the morning coffee. Like I did not expect that. I thought that I have the, the best relationship ever. It's been a 14 years relationship. We grew up together, right? Uh, so um, I, I was in very rough shape 
uh, all I knew is um, to work hard and, and to prove others that I could make it. Right. So that was the, the first starting point, just to prove others. So I took a second job and a third job and I bought a piece of land and I built a house, raising my kid as a single mom. But yet I was still facing, uh, you know, um, the things that didn't sit right with me was the culture uh, that it was back then. I cannot speak what the culture is right now because uh, I don't live there anymore. But back then, it's just I didn't know what is it that I want, but was very clear what is it that I don't want. And what I didn't want is I didn't want to raise my kid into a culture where uh, the most important thing is uh, the title on your business card and the car that you are driving and the brand of your clothes. And... Um, on one hand, and on the other hand, as, as a divorcee, I was treated like I was not worth it. Like nobody will ever love me again, and nobody will ever touch me again, because this is, this is not a virgin anymore, and who the hell is going to want a, a consume woman that also has a child? Uh, and it's just, you know, it's just like, just going down, 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 down. And I'm like, hell no, I'm not going to raise my kid with, with this. But I didn't know what is it that I want to raise him with instead. I had no idea. So whatever courage or craziness or a combination of both, I'm like, I just need to get the hell out of here. So that was the reason I left. <laughs> so I left. Uh, I left the United States. And I was 33 at that point. My kid was six. And we came here, um, you know, having no friends, no family, and speaking no English. Uh, was it scary? Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, keep in mind, the moment that I arrived here, I was a, a, not in a good shape. I did not trust myself. My, my, my self-esteem was under the sea level. Uh, but all I learned just by visiting before I decide to move, what I learned is that um, there is so many cultures here and it's easy to get lost and nobody, you're not that damn important, everybody to pick on you. Mm -hmm. And the most important thing that actually uh, had me decide to move to the United States was that as a single mom, as a single parent, as a divorced woman with a little child, I was treated as um, someone who's brave to make a life mm -hmm. on, his, on her own. And I was like, what? I'm actually not that much. I actually not uh, the last person in a line. Like, really? Mm -hmm. it, 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 there, there is another way of living when people actually respect me for this status, like the opposite of what I experienced. Mm -hmm. And I said, I think I could do this. The only impediment was like the language, like, okay, I know how to count from one to 10 and pretty much that's it. <laughs> and, and some bad words, cause you have to learn those first. Um, <laughs> so the, the, the driving force there was my son because I put him in a kindergarten and before you knew it, like less than two months, I'm kidding you not, he starts speaking English. So here I am in the park watching my kid playing with other kids. I'm there in, in the tourist dictionary reading, learning words from English to Romanian and from Romanian to English. 
And then I just uh, kept a dialogue between my kid and other kids. And I had no idea what you're talking about because you're speaking English. Mm. And that freaked me out Yeah, to the bones. And in the same time was the biggest motivator, like, okay, I need to get my shit together and start learning this language pretty much. So hit the books, yeah. <laughs> turn on the radio, watch television, and put myself into uh, ESL classes, right? Um, and uh, to be honest, I, I learned everything that my kid brought from school, every single piece piece of paper and they bring a lot of papers kindergarten <laughs> here in the United States. They do. I, I read all of them. I learned all the songs, like two balls <laughs> are walking, the first one do the talking. I learned them all. That's how I learned English. I love it. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's a great a, perspective. It is. Well, it's a good way to lean or, learn English. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's, that's well, what it's a complicated learning, language, you know? first of all. But yeah. Cool. Fun. So that we get to that point and, you know, I met a man and he treated me like I'm the queen of the queens. And um, there you go. Before we, you know it, we were married and we are happily married for about a month. <laughs> mm. And then it, everything does, just turns into... Um, unfortunate uh, emotional abuse, like like very fast and very deep, uh, and I was not prepared. Um, so from there, whatever um, ugly stories that you read about immigrants, I kind of experienced all of them, like being locked in a house, not allowed to talk, disconnected from the world, uh, locked the computer, no phone, um, no food. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, so I learned how to portion of a box of mac and cheese, um, you know, and cook it spoon by spoon to feed my kid and uh, make a, you know, a math lesson out of it. Like, this is how we could split it. Let, let's pretend that for one week we have no food because we don't know when the food is coming. So portion it in seven and what that makes and how we cook and how we split the powder that it's supposed to be cheese. I will never know what that powder is. Um, <laughs> it's and, not cheese. <laughs> yes. And then uh, teach him that, uh, you know, we don't need food to survive, but we do need water. So I won't be eating, you'll be eating, and I will just drink water to stay hydrated. Um, if, if anything, for all these tough moments, then there's so many of them. I, I mean, as you say, there is a book, and I don't want to mm-hmm. give you the whole book. I want people to read it. Um, but as a parent, and, you know, become later on become my, my work and my business, is what I learned through life experience is that staying honest to my kid was the best thing that I did as a parent to actually translate to his level of understanding, right, for a six years old, seven years old, and so on, like, this is where we're at. I have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow. And I know it sucks, but this is where we're at. This mm-hmm. is what we have. So, yes, my kid is almost 18 now, but he's not confused about anything from everything that he was witnessing, because I, I was just recognizing to him, like, this is where we at. This is what's happening. But mom, we can't leave the house now. The door is locked. I don't have the keys. 
When do we leave? One, when he's coming back. Do you know when he's coming? I have no idea. I would like to play with the friends. I say, I know, but you can't because we can't leave the house. Oh, so, my. So, and, and as we talked about in your book, you explain how you moved on from that um, nightmare. I don't know how else to describe it, really. I mean, I think it's a nightmare. It's sort of like you were excited to be in the United States. You felt for the first time not invisible and that and you felt some ability to be respected. And then it, it probably felt like backsliding for you or you know, what now is every place like this? Is every place like where you left, you know, your country, this country, is everybody like this? And, but you found yourself, you know, you, you got out of that and you moved forward. You're now living in LA. Your new book hit the top in two categories. That's pretty exciting. I'm sure you're thrilled about that. I'm shocked about that. (laughs) Well, but happy and celebrating and yes, and grateful. (laughs) Yes, but I read your book. And so it's not a surprise to me that that it hit those top categories. It was a it was a great it's a great story. And and that leads me to, you know, this this next portion of who you are. You're a life coach, you know, and um, I know that your life experiences drew you to that probably, but explain to us really what that means for you being a life coach. Mm-hmm. You, you're certified in several categories. So what is it that you'd like the most about that? Thank you for asking me that. That's what I love to talk about every day, <laughs> all day long. <laughs> Look, when we decided, like marriage number three, and we decided that we moved from United States to New Zealand, I made the decision that I will never work for anybody anymore. Like I, I, I learned a lot and I went through a lot in life and it, it, it must be something else for me that a way that I could actually support other people and give back. And that's how I discovered coaching. I did not know about the coaching, right? So I put myself to school and I start doing all this, um, you know, taking the steps of uh, programs that you have to, to, to learn, to practice, to put the hour in, to get the certificate and so on. So I start with health coaching and then, um, you know, how to change a habit and how to have, you know, a healthy lifestyle and all that. And that, that was great. Um, but it was not enough, <laughs> like it was something else. And you know, what is it? Right. So then I discovered life coaching. I'm like, Oh, this, this is it. This is what I actually get to talk with people about life challenges. Like, yeah, th- I want to know how to do that, that, that I'm excited. And as soon as I dive into that, uh, into that school and start taking clients and so on, um, it, it was like, oh, but, but it's more to the work. And a long time ago, I studied uh, psychology back in Romania. And I'm like, that was still hanging in my brain. Like, I feel like that was not fully completed. And that's what I want to learn how to do. So I dive into transformational coaching that is more, you know, uh, NLP and really uh, dive into learning and then practicing with clients. And that's what I'm doing now, supporting clients into upgrading their belief system so they will match their identity or the other way around. So who we that's are cool. being, like everything that is happening in our life, it's, it's the life that we created, 
created from the belief system that we have. So for me, that was the biggest discovery to look back to my life. And I said, of course, I married an abusive man. Like that was like, that was exactly what I needed at that point, because I was someone who believe about herself that she's not worthy, that she's not Mm. allowed to talk, that what she says is not important, that she's not qualified enough to have a say-so in anything. So therefore, she make herself being right by finding this man that emotionally abuse her and doesn't allow her to talk. And just to make sure that she's right, let's put her into a different country that she doesn't even speak the language. So who she is, it's matching her beliefs. Yeah, it is. It, I can see that. But did you know he was going to be abusive? Were there signs oh. of that? Right. Oh. So, but there's the attraction to the to the spirit of it. I I, I I was I was talking to the to my students about this today because I was talking about self esteem and how important it is to. And I, I what I told him is we we teach other people how to treat us by how we treat ourselves. You know, how we think of ourselves uh, is what we allow other people to to give to us in our lives. And um, it's just very interesting. You literally just explained in a much better way what I <laughs> tried to tell to my students today. <laughs> I mean, it's it's what you believe about yourself and that's what you allow other people. You're to... saying that that's the energy that draws yeah. other people in. Yeah. yeah. But, but the self-worth that it's inside, that it's in our, in our soul, that's coming from the belief system. So... whomever listened to this is like, no, do not blame yourself for whatever life you create for yourself, even though the the self-esteem is, is, it's low. The work that we could do and we get support, coaches, therapists, whatever support you have available is to work on that self-work from inside out, like look into the beliefs because those are not even most of them are not even ours. We didn't choose them. They've been passed to us by parents, culture, school, society rules, blah, 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 from generation and generation. It was just like, it's programming. They just give it to us. Nobody asked me, hey, do you want to believe that? No, they just give it to me when I was three or five or six. And then I went to school and we've been abused and we've been like smack our, you know, um, head to the a blackboard because we didn't have the right answer and that was allowed and better don't let the parents know that happened because then you get the second route at home so you grow up with that right and then you believe that if you say something wrong you're going to be punished you're going to be in pain so therefore you have a choice if you say it wrong you, you think that you deserve it or if you're afraid to being hurt or being in pain you don't say anything so you never speak up So, of course, if the self-worth is so low, it's not enough support to actually build some boundaries and say, yeah, you cannot touch me. Like literally today, I could could stand up and say, there is nothing that you could say that is going to hurt my feelings. But guess what? It took me 40 plus years to get here. I I consider myself a pretty strong-willed person and pretty... uh, I don't self-sufficient, I guess, or whatever. But there are things that people can say to me that still hurt my feelings. Ooh, yeah. I, love I, that. I, I was going to say the same thing. I'm pretty confident. I'm a, I, yeah, I think confident. I'm pretty That's confident. You know, but but I I would agree. My feelings still get hurt. Yeah. So well, it's really interesting because when I was teaching um, at the university and 
um, students would, and this is when they had papers and things like that, and they would be sitting there reading the paper in class, and now and then you know, fast forward to them beyond their cell phones or whatever, and some of them might be even be sitting in the front row. And one day I said in class, I said, I know you all find this really hard to understand, but professors are people. You know, we have feelings. We see you. What you're doing is rude. It hurts our feelings. You know, we're up here trying to maintain your attention and teach you something. And yet you are on your phone. Yeah, you're looking at your phone or you're flipping through a paper. And I, the looks on their faces were shock. Because I think I really got them with professors or people, <laughs> yes. too. You know, I think they didn't understand. Oh, you have feelings. Mm-hmm. A real you know, person. You're a real person. That you're not just. A, it's, it's interesting how do you see what I'm saying. The dynamic of of how that is. That I think some people think, wow. How could you? How could that hurt your feelings? So yes. yeah, I would say that there's still some things that hurt my feelings. I would say most of the day, no. But yeah, I'll work on that. <laughs> uh, well, this is this is what I call them. Like like in my practice with my clients, I call them triggers. And we really we're in charge in our feelings. Uh, um, so it's triggers. Like I don't like that. That that is like oh right. What is that? And, and I got into a point and my intention is to get all my clients into the point when they actually love their triggers, meaning that every time something bother me of, or, or make me just contract, even if it's for a second, has nothing to do with what the other person does or what the other person says. So it's an invitation for me to look in and say, what is it about my own being that it's not settled? If somebody call me names, like I used to, like I cry all my life because people will call me names or whatever. If somebody call me something, it, I, 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 I'm telling you, all I feel for that person, it's love. And it's wow. like, because it's something there with that person that they are insecure about something. And the only way that they could deal with that is to call me names. But I know I'm not who they tell me that I am. And if I'm triggered, and it's like, okay, what is it inside of me that it's called to be addressed? It might be a little tiny piece of my being that I like, I need to look at it and say, okay, is an insecurity there uh, or, or what is it? Do I need to set a new, is it a boundary that it's weak and I need to just reinforce it? And, and a good example is, is my brother. Like he used to call me names and for years, even like not too long ago, until I say, hey, you need to lose my number. You do not get to call me anything. And next time what happened, I'm just going to hang up on you. And I only have to do it once. But it's not about that hurting my feelings. It's like, no, you don't get to treat me like that. And I know right. what happened to you. Yes. <laughs> right? And with the <laughs> yeah. students and, and, and in school especially, is like, I, I don't know, teachers for me and educators, they're just like freaking superheroes, and especially in the United States. Because uh, it's, it's, it's really, it's about how this child was raised, you know? Like For how sure. Did, oh, yes. So <laughs> it, it has nothing to do with the teachers, has to do with the parents. I mean, I, I come from a really, you know, up, up 
culture, but we have that saying like seven years from home, meaning that is the parent's responsibility to make sure that that kid could stay still and listen and it's polite and disciplined before you put them to school, before you put them into a public setting. Because right. it's not the teacher's job to raise my kid. That's my job. Mm. It's a good belief system. Yeah, it is. You should say that one more time for our listeners. <laughs> yes. For the people in the back. For the people it's, in the back. For the people in the back. <laughs> it's not the teacher's and educator's job to raise my child. It's my job as his parents. As his parent, yes. 100% agree. Yep. But, Stamp you know, approval. we hear that, right? <laughs> Loud and clear. But, yes. And we're educators. And we, we love what we do. Yeah. We do. Um, and... As you know, there's, it's a hard gig, as you just said, about education. In fact, um, you know, when you were in New Zealand, you, you know, you uh, asked for our textbook. I sent it to you. You wanted to get it into the schools. You saw how difficult that was, right? You just, mm -hmm. it was, it was a setback for you. I mean, I know you were shocked at how closed that subject is to people, right? Um, it's crazy. And, and I'm yeah. glad you say subject because it was not about the book. It was about, oh, we are here to be 100% vulnerable. We are talking about educating those children about sex and sexuality. And, yeah. and that was like, like everybody's excited, but nobody's mm -hmm. like, no. Oh, yeah. They, and they'll all say, yeah, we need this, but not here. <laughs> it's and, like and they, they, we all want it, but I don't want to be the one to stick out my neck and say so. Sorry. Yeah, or yeah, or I could do that, but I'm not going to. So, but you know, your son is a driving force for you on that, I think, right? And Andre is—he's a big influencer for you. And do you often wonder if you didn't have your son when you were going through these life changes? Would you have? had the motivation and the the desire to survive as much? 100% no. I truly believe that if I was to be on my own, yeah, I can't even dare to, to, to think about how things might end up. Uh, but having, like, be, taking the role as a parent, I mean, I am considering myself as... As an individual, like I'm driven and I, and, I, and I like to create things and you can't stop me and I'm very committed, I'm very disciplined and I work hard and all that, right? But having a child and it's like, wait a minute, I move to create a better future for myself, of course, mm -hmm. but for my kid. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I was like this close to say, you know, like screw them all, I'm out of here. This, this, is, this is the lowest I could go in my life. I can't go lower than this. This is not what I want to model for my kid. And next second was like, wait a minute, you're going to actually leave one person to decide your future and the rest of the life of your child? I'm like, no, must be another way. Must be another way. Because I came here not to be the wife of this man. I came here to build a future for my son. So what can I do? So all I... I, all I no, at that point, all I knew at that point and all I could do is to just call a 1-800 number and get ourselves into an emergency woman shelter just before anybody get actually really hurt. Physically. 
physically. You were already yes. hurt emotionally. Right? Already hurt. And, and I, I don't, I, I got to witness like five months living in that shelter. I got to witness a lot of cases. That would be a whole book altogether of, of, of physical abuse, not only emotional. I don't, I, I don't think there is physical abuse without emotional abuse, but I do know there is emotional abuse about physical abuse. Mm-hmm. And, and emotional abuse, is, it's, a, it's a really hard one. It's a really hard one. Like just applying for the immigration uh, paperwork and all that, and when they tell me I need to prove that, like how in the world I'm going to prove that? Well, right, because the wounds are Nobody invisible. Nobody sees that. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Everybody, all that people see is this amazing couple and how much they love each other. Oh, my God, he's treating her like she's some freaking queen, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, how do I prove that? Yeah, that you're locked in your house without food. Yeah. Yeah, those, that's, you know, the emotional stuff is invisible. You don't have bruises on your arms or, you know, a black eye or not that that's better, but... Again, a lot of people will say, you know, this is the emotional part. Are the wounds are are invisible? Yeah. And but that that again was to just uh, take ownership of that and and being a parent. And yes, uh, my son Andre, he he's the one to take us out of all the house that we want, really, because it was just like a, a living, you know, unconditional love, constant anchor of. What am I modeling for this kid? I cannot model that it's okay to let somebody to treat you like that. Like, no. Well, like, what can I don't know what else I could model, and I don't know how to do life. I really don't. But I know that this is not it. <laughs> right. So yes, every time, and it was many times when I was like, I just want to give up. Was like, no, wait a minute. It's not just about me. Have you been back to? Romania? Uh, since I moved, uh, yes, we've been back six years after, which was six years ago. <laughs> I do talk a little bit in a book about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And back then, like six years ago, like on our first visit, I, the experience was that not much change. And I was like, I, I felt like the time just stopped there. Mm. And I called some friends and things, and the conversations were the same. And I didn't know what to do with that. <laughs> uh, you had until, changed a lot, I imagine. <laughs> until they told me, oh, my God, you changed so much. I was like, oh, thank you, God. Thank God that I changed. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Um, uh, but not, not to sound arrogant or whatever. It's just that... Um, in, including when it's coming in a relationship with, with my family, I have a better understanding of being just on the phone. It's really hard to, like, they are who they are, and I know who they are, because I used to be that person, right, living mm-hmm. like that, and with that belief system. And I was trying to, so hard to try to explain to them, to, argue, to uh, um, pretty much explain everything that I do and how I live my life. And they have no way of, of understanding or comprehending. And going back to Romania was, oh, wait, I understand where they're at because I've been here, but they cannot understand where I'm at because they've never been there. So, But, yeah, even if they don't understand where you are, surely they're proud of you. That could be a separate conversation. 
Okay. Okay. Yeah. There's that. Okay. There is that. <laughs> but but even with that, because I see that even with my clients, uh, like in in my practice, like we usually people that evolve and and they they look in expanding more and more. That doesn't mean that the family will evolve with them. And, and a lot of my clients are, are facing that with, you know, with the life partners or with parents or, you know, a brother or sister. And, and that is what's happening. It's like, wait a minute, I am going there and I'm doing all this work and I'm shifting beliefs and I'm becoming this person. Now, the, the, the fortunate ones, they are evolving together, or at least kind of like not too, too big of a gap between the speed of, of evolving but most of the cases, and that, that's the case for my family of origin, is that the gap is so big that you can't just close it with one conversation. Like sure. we, are, we are literally living in a totally different world. We have sure. a diff, totally different view of the world, of, of everything about the world, which is, which is like in two different planets. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And that's okay. Are you the only one in your family who speaks English? Uh, my sister speaks a little. Yeah, she does. Like she could, she could, you know, have a, I don't know, visit U.S. and ask for directions, for example, which I couldn't when I got here. <laughs> Are you the only one that's moved away? No, actually, my brother moved away first. He, he used to live in Italy for more than a decade, but then he, he moved back to, back to Romania. And um, I think that that makes him a little bit different um, compared with the rest of the members of the family because he, he got an a understanding of how is it to be by yourself in the world and, and expand his mind of like different cultures, different colors, different languages. Like all that is just like, it's so much shock. I mean, we are talking Romania. Everybody's white. Everybody speak one language. What well, maybe some <laughs> Hungarians in Transylvania. Uh, we don't see people of color. Uh, we don't talk LGBTQ, like none of that, right? So um, yeah, I, I, I needed to learn a lot <laughs> when I move and I needed to grow really fast. But again, because I have a son. And, and even all the things that I did not like, and trust me, was a lot of resistance with a lot of things of how, how life it's lived in the United States. Um, I, I literally try everything. I'm like, wait a minute, I'm about to raise my kid in this culture. So it's my job and my responsibility to learn about it. And the first thing that I did, it's stay away from Romanian communities. Oh, really? Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Yes, hmm. because uh, I needed to learn the language, so I was not interested in speaking Romanian. I was interested in speaking English, and and I needed to learn, uh, you know, how how do you do life here? Yeah. So and then really connecting with all kind of different cultures and different ages, and and just 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 learn. Because I'm like, my kid is in school. I look in his classroom, and it does not look like the classroom that I've been in. This classroom has all kind of colors and size and shapes and clothes and traditions. And it's, it's my job to prepare him how to interact, you know, with kindness and with acceptance, which I never learned as a child. So that's that. <laughs> yeah. It's, well, it's I, really, it's very impressive, everything that you've 
that you chose for your life and that you did on purpose to make your life better. I mean, it's it's very inspirational, but it's just it's also very impressive. Like, bro, for sure. It, yeah, I mean, and, and and well, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> of course. And I mean, I think that, and that's really what we want our listeners to understand is that this was not a, a in well, let me preface this: in the United States, or maybe just me in particular, we use a lot of um, slang or uh, sayings, right? And so, for you, it wasn't a walk in the park. What we would call a walk in the park, meaning it wasn't a stroll down you know, a sunny lane. Yeah. It just, it wasn't easy. Um, and for you, you know, and I share our listeners are gathering that your goal was just to move forward. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, I, I try to tell my kids, sometimes fear can be immobilizing where we just can't, we freeze and we can't move out of that. But for me, and I, and you know, fear for me is mobilizing. It forces me to, it turns my brain onto high and I have to start thinking about moving out of the fear and moving into solution. Mm -hmm. And when I read your book, that was really, that really resonated with me because that's your story. That's what you did. That's what you do. And I think, and I know that's what you're doing for your clients now, right? Is moving them out of fear and moving them into solution. We actually update that a little bit and we say, hey, fear is always going to be there and you have yeah. to make it a friendly member of your team because mm-hmm. it's as soon as you experience fear, that means you are about to step out of the comfort zone. And then you get mm. to decide, do I want to expand? Do I want to explore this unknown territory? That's why I'm experiencing fear. I say, okay. And I, I have this thing, like, you take it, you put it in your pocket. I'm like, I hear you. Okay. We are good. We are safe. We're not going to die. We're going to take this step and see what, what we discovered there. But fear is not something to uh, avoid. It's like to embrace and it's just a, another invitation. Hey, you are about to up-level your life. You are about to learn a new thing. You are about to expand your comfort zone. So then, yeah, I, I make friends with fear. As I make friends with triggers, like, yeah, they keep me alive and they keep me safe. And they give me the reminders like, you, you are, you're not stagnant. You are oh, making yes. shit happen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's such a great, that's that such is. a good point. Um so we're coming, we're coming to a close, but I want, I just kind of want to um, ask you a, a, one more question. And when you're working with your clients, is there, are there times with you where you feel like your client might just really be on this verge of breakthrough? Like you're just so close to getting there and they retreat. Has, has not does my that happen? <laughs> <laughs> They're not my okay. clients. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, 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 I'm being like, you know, like sassy here. Um, yes, I see that a lot. And that, that is my job. Um, at this point, you know, we all start from where we start, but at this point as a coach in my work, I'm, I'm building a reputation of like, she's going to kick your ass. Like there is no, <laughs> like she's going to call your BS. So that's the reputation. And, and I like, and, I, and I'm proud of it. And that's how I want to be known on. Like, if you sign up with me, we're going to make it happen. So mm-hmm. that being said, that's the space that I'm holding for my clients, that everything is possible. You get to do whatever the hell you want to do, and we're going to co-create. 
Meaning I'm showing up to hold that vision for you, whatever you want. I'm holding it for you. That's why you're investing. I'm holding it for you. And every time you want to hide, I have lights. I have lights and I, I, I put the lights like, oh, you're hiding there. Let's pull that part out and let's look at it. Because there's nothing that we cannot handle. If we made it so far in life and we go through everything that we went through, there is nothing that we cannot handle. So in every session, it's not just uh, being on the edge of the breakthrough or a breakthrough. It's like multiple breakthroughs in the session. Mm -hmm. Just showing Mm -hmm. up in a session and knowing that you are seen and heard and you get Mm -hmm. to, to say your truth, that's transformational right there. Because most yes. of the people, they don't have those spaces. And when we talk about preteens, because, you know, I do some workshops with preteens and teens, especially mm-hmm. in LGBTQ space, the mm-hmm. rules are clear. Like you come here and you say whatever the hell you want to say. Right. That you could not say in your own house. Like yeah. this is where you yes. let it out. This is where we witness you. This is where we see you and we applaud you and we love you for who you are. So let us see you. Love that. We love that. Yeah, because we do a lot of work with with um, the LGBT, LGBTQ population, and um, mm-hmm. and it's it's important. We it's just been a pleasure yes. just having you on. It's just oh. so inspiring, and I just love seeing your smiley you. face. <laughs> I miss seeing. <laughs> Thank you. you. We should so talk much more. for having me. I, I oh, it's so I good mean, to meet listen, you. When, when I contacted you first time to invite you on my podcast, I was just, you know, like just a scared little girl, right? And, <laughs> and to be here is just another evidence that, oh, wait a minute, did, did Betsy invite me to be her guest? And I know it sounds like an ego thing, but it's also it's the reality of things, right? And, and mm-hmm. thank you so much. It's, it's such an honor. And, and I love your work. And I love what you do in your organization. And I cannot speak about you and your manual and, and look both ways. Like, I cannot speak enough to, to so many. So thank you. <laughs> oh, you're, you're welcome. And I'm yes, sure our listeners you. are going to get a lot out of this. Can you, um, if, if they want to get in touch with you, I know you have a Facebook page. It's um, Spark Transformation. It's Spark Transformation Academy. The, the best way to contact me is just uh, my website, Simona Spark. It's simonaspark.com. That's, that's the website and everything is there. All that I, that I do, the book, the podcast, the coaching, the, the speaking engagement, everything is there. That's my, my business card. <laughs> yes. And I, I think if people want to really know you uh, and know what you're capable of and how you are going to help them, they, they definitely need to, to read your book. Yes. So shameless, shameless plug, Raising My Voice. That's the name of the book. That's not <laughs> shameless. No. There you go. <laughs> yes. Raising My Voice, a memoir of an immigrant. Simona Spark. Thank you so much. We'll talk Thank soon. You. Thank okay. you, Simona. Bye-bye. Bye. Love you. Love you too. Well, I mean, she was seriously inspiring. That was, um, you know, I didn't, I haven't read her book, so I didn't really know what to expect. But I mean, wow, I'm impressed. Yeah, I thought being a single mom was hard. Uh, well, and, and I, right? I had it, I had it really easy compared to what she had it being. A oh, single and mom. she, like, and let goodness. me tell you, uh, she glossed over 
obviously, because, you know, it would be good for people to read it in her book. Yeah. But she glossed over the the real biggies. Juicy parts. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, believe it or not, being locked in her house really wasn't the worst thing that happened. So, um, and I, and you know, I always have to remember when she is speaking, like when we hear her, she's translating, mm -hmm. right? Because English is not her first language. Yeah. And so she's always translating, yeah. translating. It's And it has to be exhausting. But yet here she is living in LA, wrote a book. Well, it's her second book. And she gave a TEDx talk. Um, it was on um, more than one genders. This was... Uh, is that how you met her was through TEDx? No, I, I actually met her through a colleague of mine and uh, he recommended that we talk and we did and it was really, it was obviously a good match. But um, her and her son Andre is one of her biggest inspirations. She talks a lot of that in the book. But yeah, I mean, it's impressive. Yeah, it really is. It's She, in a lot of ways, reminded me of my mom and just being so yeah. upbeat and amazingly like happy and so good with her life and able to share that with other people yeah. even after just horrible things having happened. I know. It's so interesting. I thought of your mom too while we yeah. were, well, she was, well, we had her on. Yeah. It's, it's just nice to see in particular women, you know, overcoming the, these odds. And it, yeah. I, I can't, I, I just, it's really, it's fun to hear, you yeah. know, it makes you feel like, you know, I didn't do enough today. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. I'm so, like, oh, I, I did get through school while I was a single mom. Yeah. I oh, some, come on. You know. <laughs> yeah. Listen. I've Everybody. got some accomplishments, but she just made me, I was like, wow, she's impressive. Very, very well, impressive. Well, but, you know, we all, hard is hard. Hard is hard. Doesn't, everybody's story is different. Yeah, it's true. This podcast was created to promote Look Both Ways in the textbook written by Dr. Cairo. Look Both Ways is a nonprofit organization based in Loveland, Colorado, with a mission to educate our youth about their reproductive health to make informed decisions for their future. We do this by educating the educators through professional development, and we also put on free conferences for both teens and parents of teens. Textbooks used at schools are donated by Look Both Ways to eliminate the money obstacle for schools interested in piloting or adopting our curriculum and textbook. As a nonprofit, we're always fundraising and accepting donations. For more information about Look Both Ways, our fundraising efforts, getting a textbook donated to you, or to make a donation, please visit lookbothways.us. That's L-O-O-K-B-O-T-H-W-A-Y-S dot U-S. This podcast was produced by Peach Islander Productions in Fort Collins, Colorado. This is Mandy Johnson. And Dr. B. Wishing you well. Be sure and catch all our episodes of It's Not Human Sexuality on Spotify, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. So all my life I've been told that I talk too much and too loud, and that's unacceptable. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, right, gonna I'm going to go yeah, lower. Take down. Yeah, take it down. Okay. How is this? 30% or so. Do you want me to just mute and leave? No. <laughs> <laughs> no.
Oh, 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 oh,